having a conversation with a fellow this last week, and he says, I'm a bit depressed. I said, why is that? He says, because it just seems like things are getting worse and worse all the time. I said, yeah, they are. I'm excited. He said, why are you excited? I said, well, because that's what it says in the Bible is going to happen. You know, whenever you see the Bible coming true right before your eyes, it kind of makes you excited. God's in control. He knows what's going on. He said, so how's that? I said, well, because the Bible says the devil is going to get pitched into the lake of fire and he's going to be there forever and he can read that and he is determined that he is not going to let that happen. He's determined he's going to win and he recognizes things are going to get into the end and so he's kicked it into high gear. And his demons, and they're doing everything they can to win, to control our culture, to control the lives of people, to control government, everything. And he's creating as much evil and chaos as he possibly can to control the lives and the destinies of people. That's what he's doing. So I said, read Matthew 24. Jesus says this is what's going to happen. It's going to get worse and worse and worse, and it's going to accelerate. The worseness is going to get worse faster, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's going to get badder and badder, worser and worser. Uh, good grammar. And then Jesus is going to come and take us all to heaven. Called the rapture. It's going to be in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. We're going to hear a trumpet. It's going to say, where did that come from? And then all of a sudden your body's going to change. It's going to become like that of Jesus. And we're going to take off a medium in the sky. We're going to be gone for about seven years. And there's going to be the most amazing global warming you've ever heard about. It's going to be bad, really bad, seven years. But we won't be here. That's going to be the cool part. Then we come back at the end of the seven years with Jesus, and he'll establish his kingdom on the earth. He will reign from Jerusalem, and he will rule over the world. It's called the millennial kingdom. Um, the devil will be bound, and everything will be great, and the fishing will be unbelievably good. Uh, that's in the Bible. If you don't believe me, just ask, and I'll tell you where to, you can read it. Uh, it's just going to be a great time. But... We've got a bit of time, and it's accelerating, and I'm, Jesus is coming back. And the worse it gets, the closer he is. And so my uh, sort of prediction is that it will happen before my 80th birthday. So I'll be 71 this year, so that's what we're aiming for. I say that because I was born in 1948 when Israel was born, reborn as a state. And uh, 80 years is uh, often mentioned in the Bible as a generation. And so when I'm 80 years old before then... And so, you know, not that much time to go. Uh, so live good. But the key thing is we want to conquer. We want to live for Christ. We want to do something with our life that matters. So we're looking at the book of Joshua and the nation of Israel uh, moving into the promised land. They, they blew it one time, then they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're going at it a second time. So number one in your notes, Joshua and the nation of Israel entered the promised land to conquer it. Their enemy was the Nephilim. The Raphaim, the Zamzuman, and the Anakim, half-demon, half-human giants. Now, if that whole topic sort of, huh? I, I've, I'm reading a wonderful, really good book on this topic. Well-researched, not sensational. Uh, researched the whole Bible and has written it clearly. It's great. And if you'd like to read that book, you can email me or text me, and I will send you the title and the author. It's on Amazon. And uh, I've read a number of books, and some of them are just sort of weird, but this one is right on. Good book. Uh, Genesis 6, 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God, that's a term that's used for devils and demons and angels. 
Um, they were all angels before they fell, and that was the term of Jews, sons of God, and they came into the daughters of men. Uh, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And so at the very beginning, God says, the seed of the woman will come and crush your head, speaking to the devil, and he knew that. And he knew that it would be a special uh, race of people that the Messiah that was going to come and crush him would come out. So his goal was to pollute the human race so that couldn't happen. And, uh, and especially he was going to pack the promised land with these people so that he, he, he knows what God's plan is. And so when they moved into the promised land, the whole country's full of these critters. Uh, Numbers 13, 33, there also we saw the Nephilim. This is when they entered the first time. Uh, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers on our own side. That's because these guys were really big, uh, giant. So we were in their sight. Deuteronomy 2, 20, it, also, uh, it is also regarded as the land of the Rephaim, for the Rephaim formerly lived in it, but the Ammonites called them Zamzuman, a people as great Numerous and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them, settled in their place. Joshua 14, this is Caleb. He was one of my heroes. And Caleb said, Now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out, for coming in. Now then, give me this hill country which, about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day that Anakim... Were there. This particular place, there's a whole bunch of these Anakim, these giants, with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. And so Caleb, he wasn't afraid of these giants. He said, give me this piece of land. I'll drive them out. He's 85. And so I've got goals made until I'm 85. And I said, Lord, give me some great challenges, and let me live a life like Caleb did. Now, you don't understand when you're reading the book of Joshua, why God had the, uh, the Israelites destroy every living person, woman, child, everyone, and, until you understand this concept. Uh, these Anakim, these giants, this polluted race, as it were, were packed into this promised land that they were conquering. And so God wants them destroyed. He did that in the flood, uh, destroyed every person. Number two, our enemy today is the, is the devil and his demons who are controlling the lives of lost people all around us. And things are getting worse because the devil is the god of this world. He's controlling almost all of what we look around and see. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whose case the god of this world, that's Satan, he's controlling, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Every lost person you know, they are blinded supernaturally by the devil, blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It doesn't make sense. They don't get it. 2 Timothy 2.26, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive, held captive by him to do his will. Every lost person is held captive by the devil, held captive to do his will. They escape because of us. God works in and through us to free those that live around us as he would work through our life. Ephesians 2, and you, that's us, all of you were dead in your trespasses and sins 
which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, of the spirit that is now presently working in the sons of disobedience. Every lost person is controlled by Satan and his demons. And it's no wonder that people are killing people and all the evil that we see is happening. It's driven by the devil and his demons. It's motivated by, it's energized by. Colossians 1.13, He, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness. So we were there, every one of us. And we were rescued by him and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so that's what we want to be about as a church. We live in the middle of a piece of property. We'll just call it our promised land, 30 minutes in every direction. There's about 100,000 people that live in this geographical area, 14% of whom attend any kind of church at all. And so we've got lots and lots of potential Number three, as Joshua and the nation of Israel entered into the promised land, they knew that God would supernaturally work on their behalf and they would conquer the enemy. So because God had made this promise to them, he told them, this is what I will do for you. Uh, I forget that I've got this in two parts. That verse, this, uh, let's back up to the beginning, make sure you all got that. As Joshua and the nation of Israel entered into the promised land, there's no blanks there, so you got that, uh, they knew that God would supernaturally work. God would supernaturally work on their behalf and they would conquer the enemy. God would do it. He's God, he's in control, and he could do anything, and all they had to do was sort of show up, and God would do the work. Joshua 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people to the land, to the land which I am giving to them. To the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. And so, it was guaranteed. I've given it to you. Joshua 1.5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You know, if God were to say that to me, I'd go pick a fight with some big dude. <laughs> uh, not really. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you. Or forsake you, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land. It's guaranteed. Joshua 2.24, they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Joshua 6.2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Joshua 8.1, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to Ai. I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Joshua 11.6, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. And so God was doing it. Number four, how cool would it be to fight a battle that you knew you couldn't lose? You know, when David faced Goliath, he knew who Goliath was, and he knew that, that if he, following God, he couldn't lose. And so you read this story about David, this, this kid facing this huge giant with a sling, and you think, wow, he was brave. Well, he knew that because of God, he couldn't lose. Man, if I knew that, I'd have taken him with a stick. I mean, how much confidence do you have when you know God is the one who does it? Number five, it was the presence of God. 
It was the presence of God with them that gave them their guaranteed success in conquering the enemy. Now, God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But the Bible talks about him manifesting his presence or making his presence thick, as it were. And whenever that happens, supernatural things happen. God works, things change. And so his presence was what made them invincible. It was his presence that gave them their guaranteed success. Joshua 1.5, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with, I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong, be courageous, do not tremble, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Joshua 6.27, so the Lord was with Joshua. The Lord was with Joshua. Number six, Jefferson Baptist Church, us. We have the same promise of his presence as we conquer the devil and his demons. We have the same promise given to us by God as Joshua and the nation of Israel did. And uh, so we ask the question, they had that promise the first time they entered the land after they left Egypt, but they failed miserably. Why? Well, because they didn't believe it. They didn't have the faith that God indeed was with them the way that he said he was, and and therefore they ran, they were chicken, they didn't enter into the promised land. So we've got the presence of God with us, and often churches don't do much. Uh, They run scared, they whine, they cry about all the conditions that are in the world. Why? Well, because we don't really believe the promise of God that he is with us and we can do supernatural things. We, the church, have the same promise of his presence as we conquer the devil and his demons so people are rescued from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. His presence is given to us as the church. Matthew 28, Jesus is getting ready to leave to heaven. He gives what is called the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's just kind of like what he said to Joshua. Go, conquer the land. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. His presence gives us our power. His presence gives us our invincibility. His presence guarantees success if we practice that presence and act in accordance. Acts 18, 9, the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid. Any longer, sound like what God said to Joshua. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, preaching, teaching. Do not be silent, for I am with you. I am with you. No man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. So he could say that to us. I have a whole lot of people all around you. In Albany and Salem and Jefferson and Salem State. And I have many people. And I am with you. So keep on speaking. 2 Timothy 4.17, The Lord stood with me, Paul speaking, and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles and believers might hear the gospel. The Lord stood with me. That's the promise that I have and you have. Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. He will crush Satan under our feet because he is with us, because we have his power, we have his wisdom, we have his guidance. 
but so did Israel, and they ran. Number seven, the promise of God's working was conditional. The nation of Israel had to do their part. So if God says, okay, I'm going to conquer the land for you, I'm going to do it, I'm going to give it to you, cool, we'll just stay in bed. We don't have to do anything, God will do it. No, 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 no. God says, here, I have something for you to do. And if you do what you're supposed to do, then I'll do what I promised I would do. Um, Joshua 6, here's what God did. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city. Let the armed men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blew the trumpets, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So if we were part of that, he would say, No talking on your cell phone. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp, and they took a nap. Uh, they were done for the day. One march around Jericho. And they spent the night in the camp. So Joshua rose early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns. Before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. The rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once, returned to the camp. They did so for six days. Then on the seventh day they rose early at the dawning of the day, marched around the city in the same manner seven times, only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, the Lord has given you the city. The Lord has done it, and the walls fell flat. So did the walls fall flat because of the vibration from the trumpets? Now God pushed them over. And they went forward, and they conquered the city, they destroyed the people, God gave them the people, but he said, here's what you're going to do. Now, you read that story about conquering Jericho, and you ask yourself the question, how militarily smart was that? It was absurd. It made zero sense. Why in the world would anybody conquer a city that way? Well, because God said to do it that way. Why? Because he wanted them to clearly know they had their part to play, but it didn't amount to a whole lot. It was just being obedient. The big deal was God. And so it wasn't the brilliance of the military tactics that conquered the city. It was simply their obedience and doing it together, and God did his part. But God gave them a part to play. Number eight, the nation of Israel conquering the city of Jericho under the leadership of Joshua happened because they were unified as an army. <clears throat> they did it together as one people. They did it together as one people. God gave the instruction, Joshua gave the leadership, and they acted as one and God worked and blessed, and they conquered. Joshua 7, 3, this is the next event. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up to Ai. Only about two or 3,000 men need go to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there. There are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there. They fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men, pursued them from the gate as far as 
Shibaram and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And then after they sort of went through a process, we'll look at that in a minute, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people, all the people, with you. Rise up, go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, this people, his city, his land. Number nine, the power we have today, our power as a church to conquer our land, free those who are captives of the devil and his demons. You know, there's a lot of churches in our country that are failing, are plateaued, declining, are doing nothing. Uh, there's not much power in their midst. And uh, they think that if they go to some kind of seminar and discover a new method, that will fix things. Uh, See, God works when conditions are met that he's established. And the number one condition he's established for a church to have power is unity. Not just the absence of conflicts, but the presence of a proactive working together where every individual, all people are functioning uh, together as part of the body of Christ. The power we have as a church to conquer our land and free those who are captives of the devil and his demons is the direct result of our proactive unity. Direct result of our proactive unity. That is what God blesses. That's what releases his power. That's what causes him to move through the whole area around us and bind the devil and his demons and free people. John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, Jesus speaking here, I have sent them. That's us. We've been sent. We've been commissioned. And moving on to verse 20, I do not ask, Jesus is praying for us in the future here, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those, that is in the future, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that we would be one in unity as much as Father, God the Father and God the Son are, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe, so that the world may believe. Why will they believe? Because God will work. His power will work. He will bind the devil and his demons, and they will not blind and deceive people. And he will do that on the condition that he's established for us is that we would, we, we would be unified. Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy, worthy of the gospel. In other words, you've got to act a certain way if you're going to be faithful with the gospel so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Number 10, God doesn't bless methods. He blesses unity. I gave that to you last week. Circle that again. Put stars all around it. People are always talking to me. We should do it this way. We should do it that way. This will work. That will work. God does not bless unity. He, blesses uh, he doesn't bless methods. He blesses unity. And so we have methods so that we can do it together. We have plays as it were. Okay, let's run this play. And everybody knows it, so we do it together. Uh, God blesses unity. And I said this last week, but, you know, it's kind of funny. If we had been part of the army, we would say, wow, let's do that again. That works so well. Let's, we'll march around every city seven times or one time and then seven times. Uh, we would sort of franchise that method, do seminars on how to conquer cities uh, using that method. God never did it that way again. But we like to do the same thing over and over again. Uh, number 11, a second requirement for God to work. That was all review that I just gave you. I better hurry. We get on the second point. The second requirement for God to work through the army of Israel and through us is obedience. 
living our life every day according to his uh, instruction, his principles, his rules. So we are the army of God, and we're not just the army of God, we are the holy army of God. Obedience. Joshua 7.1, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. So God said, when you go up into Jericho to conquer the people, there's going to be gold and silver laying every place. There are rich people. Don't touch it. And everybody obeyed except one dude. And he saw it and he took it. And he hid it. A million Jews, uh, Israelites, and one guy blew it. Joshua 7, 5, the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men, pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim, struck them down on the descent so the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring... I mean, this is like... He is whining and crying big time here. Joshua, the mighty leader. Why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it. and They will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. What will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. What are you doing on your face? It's sort of like God saying, you wimpo, get on your feet. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, and they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. The sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. So what was true then is true now. We have enemies all around us and we can stand unless uh, we violate God's rules. They turn their backs before their enemies for they have become accursed. I will not be with you. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Verse 24, then Joshua and all Israel, they did a kind of a lottery thing and they Pull, uh, drew stars as it were, which God was in charge of, and finally Achan arises as the culprit, and he confesses. And so it says, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, all that belonged to him. They brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones. They burned them with fire. After they had stoned them with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. The Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre to this day. Did you know the fierceness of the anger of God was all poured out on Jesus when he hung on the cross? So sometimes the only thing we really think about Jesus hanging on the cross was the physical pain. The nails in his hands and his feet and the agony of dying on a cross. and we, That's what we think about. We don't even think about the fact that that was the, the least of the 
issues of Jesus being crucified, the big one was all the fierceness of the wrath of God against all the sins that would be committed for the next 2,000 years. All of that wrath was poured out on Jesus. All of it. He experienced the full wrath of God against himself because he became our sin, the sin of every living person. And so what God did there as he poured out his wrath, he's never done again and never will because Jesus took that wrath on himself. Joshua 1, only be strong, very, uh, let's see. Did I read that one? I forgot where I was at. There we go. Joshua 1, 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according all the law, according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Obedience to God, you'll have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success when you obey God. Number 12, in the same way, our power today, mine, yours, us as a church, and blessing from God to accomplish his work is contingent on our pursuit of holiness and righteousness. So understand this, it's not our perfection, it's our pursuit. It's not perfection, it's the process, it's the journey. We're moving. We want, we want, we hunger, we thirst, we desire to be more and more like him. We fail, we blow it, we confess it, and we get up and we take off again. It's the pursuit uh, that God honors and grants us our power and our strength. Second Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, that's a process, from these things he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful, useful, oh, I love that word, useful to the master, prepared for every good work, flee from youthful lust, pursue, 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 move, wanted, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, worthless. So you can be useful or worthless, good for nothing. So it's depending on uh, how much we really truly want to grow and obey him. Uh, not perfection, but pursuit, journey, always wanting, always desiring, pursuing uh, him. Thirteen, this is a tricky area because it's easy to become legalistic and judgmental and, of others in our pursuit of obeying God. You know, when I was a kid, uh, if you went to a dance, you were going to hell for sure. Uh, in fact, movies, I didn't go to a movie until I was in college. Uh, they were, they were only sinners went to movies. You didn't buy groceries in a grocery store that sold beer. You certainly would never drink a beer. Uh, I mean, there was quite a long list there. I remember my dad bought a pool table for us, and my pastor saw it, and he just absolutely threw a fit. Pool tables were in taverns, and that's where uh, all the sinners were. And that was so. There was these rules that we had that were what we would call legalism. The term legalism means rules that you add that are beyond what God has established. We just do that by inference, and uh, the motive's right, but the result is awful. Uh, in the sense that it just goes and goes and goes and goes with no end. Um, Matthew 15, I'm going to jump ahead to that. 
Matthew 15, 1. <clears throat> then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So was that in the Bible? No, they just sort of added it. And he answered, Jesus said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Um, I'll not read the rest to you there. I'll just say that people do that today. 14, on the other hand, we can become casual and accepting of most any sin in the name of grace. So, I mean, just declare this. You can play pinochle. You have my permission. You're thinking, do I need your permission? No. I'm being facetious. You can play poker. It's okay. Uh, you'll still go to heaven. So there's a whole bunch of things like that. It's cool. But the Bible has some things to say about murder, about killing babies unborn, that the world says, no big deal. And God's clear in his word on that one. And there's a bunch of others. The devil has worked in our world so that we have these discussions and debates about things there ought to be no discussion on. And so we, the people of God, we live our life according to his rules, not the world's, not the ones that the devil has polluted and compromised on. And when we become a holy people pursuing holiness, not perfection, but moving in the direction of living for him, then he uses us. We become useful to him, prepared for every good work. <clears throat> Number 15, righteousness is successfully pursued together as a unified church family, not as a bunch of independent individuals. So this is probably the greatest weakness of our church in our country today is that we don't realize that God doesn't work in and through us as an individual. He does it for his church and it's our involvement and our commitment in our church that allows the grace of God to work in our life. It allows us to grow. It allows us to have power. It allows us to change our communities and our families and our workplaces in the context of our involvement in our church. Independent, self-sufficient people don't accomplish anything. It's not possible. God doesn't work that way. We do things the way God has established the rules to be, and he has determined it's the church. Matthew 16, 18, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The devil has no power against a unified, holy church. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless, the church, my church, your church. Together we become holy. We pursue righteousness. On our own, we'll just tread water. On our own, we'll just chase our tail. On our own, we'll... We'll try, but we'll fail, and we'll try, and we'll fail. We'll make zero progress outside our church because that's the way God works. Ephesians 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, beg you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And it's be God's holy people. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Moving on to verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we, that's us, together, we're to grow up. We're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that's the church, the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, every joint supplies, every person is a functioning part of the body of Christ according to the proper working of each individual part, the proper working of each individual part. The unity of the body is not simply the absence of conflict, but it's the proactive unity of of every part functioning causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, this is an incredibly powerful principle. The more I am committed, the more I love, the more involved I am with my church, the more God works in my life, and the more he works in your life through me. Sixteen, together as a church family, we can pray for one another, hold each other accountable, encourage one another, be an example for one another. I'll read that again. Together as a church family, we can pray. If you're not signed up to get the prayer letter, you know, that's a really, really key point of our unity. You should do that. We can pray for one another, hold each other accountable, encourage one another, be an example for one another. We can do it together. All of Israel marched around Jericho. It wasn't the marching around Jericho. It was the fact that they did it together. Colossians 1 We have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, please him in every detail of your life, bearing fruit in every good work. How does that happen? Because Paul prayed. I pray for you all every week, and I pray this prayer almost always. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but... Here's how to keep that from happening. Encourage one another. Every day, as long as it is still called a day. Sometimes people think, well, I don't need it. Well, maybe you don't, but someone around you does. And so it's your part, it's your commitment, it's your plugged-in relationship to this body that makes uh, you a tool for God to work in others and you able then to receive grace from others. Philippians 4, 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul says, I'm living my life. Look at what I do and do it. Practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. 17, being in the dispensation of grace doesn't mean we don't have rules from God. It doesn't mean we don't pursue holiness. It does mean that we do it together in love. So we have a church that has the absence of conflict or we're working towards that is I don't slander other people I don't gossip about other people I don't fuss and whine and fight about disagreements I forgive quickly anybody uh, God blesses that kind of unity then we can move on to uh, the unity where we're we're working together every individual we're plugged into helping uh, working with kids whether at a Warner or uh, Sunday school or junior church, building on a building with men's ministry, women's ministry, whatever. Someplace, somehow, we're functioning the way God has designed us to function, contributing to the health and the growth of the body. And uh, then we move on to that and we recognize that we're working together to reach the lost in our community. 
And that kind of unity unleashes the power of God, and we become invincible, and people come. You ever study revival? Where thousands and thousands of people just... And you read about that, and I read some of the sermons they preached during revival, and I read that sermon, I think, that's a lousy sermon. It's amazing that so many people got saved from a sermon like that. I wonder if there's a whole lot more involved behind the scenes than simply this sermon. God brought revival because the conditions that he requires were met by the people of God, and he will do the same thing today. You know, the cool thing is things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. People become desperate. They look for answers, and we, the church, when we function the way we're supposed to function, God will honor and bless our unity, our pursuit of righteousness, the fact that we do it together. And someday, I'm convinced there's going to be a huge revival. And I'd just love it if it started at Jefferson and spread from here. And it's not rocket science. Just march around the city the way God said to. Do it together, and he blesses. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. And we just ask that you would use our church, use us together as a people of God to do a great work here in this geographical area. We want that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.